Good morning. A little cold this morning, but glad you are here. See, it froze some people out, but you're the hardy ones, okay? You'll make it. <laughs> oh, well. Um, wish you would, uh, though, pray for Cindy and I. We're going out to be with her mom this week. Um, her mom has been diagnosed with thyroid cancer and is going to be having surgery on Wednesday. And uh, we just appreciate your prayers as we go out there and prayers for her that it would be successful and they'd be able to get it all. Well, we started a couple weeks ago a series called, Oh God, Make Me Holy. I don't know if those words have gone through your mind at all this past week, but my prayer is that those words would become a part of your prayer. Oh God, make me holy. Make me like you. Oh God, how can I be more like you? This morning we are going to uh, be honing in on this phrase. If you want to be perfect. If you want to be perfect. And it comes from a passage in Matthew a story that is found in three of the four Gospels, a story that we call the story of the rich young ruler. Um, we're going to read it from Matthew chapter six or chapter 19, beginning to read it, verse 16, and uh, we'll go to that right now. Just then a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This story is a story that shows the the tension, the conflict between the external and internal righteousness of just being nice on the outside and really being holy on the inside. It also is the tension between the, the earthly and the eternal values, those things that are temporal and those things that will last forever. And it also is the tension between a person's desire for the very best and also the choice to take less than God's best. The response of Jesus to this man's quest for eternal life came blasting through his materialistic mindset when Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. The young man's decision 
to hold on to his possessions rather than to follow Christ shows us one thing, and that is that his possessions had hold of him. I think one of the greatest obstacles, enemies of, personal holiness that we've been talking about over these last few weeks. One of the greatest enemies is the subtle influence of our culture's value system on our lives. The immediate application of this story is materialism. But the overriding issue, the issue that is really at the heart of this is whether we are going, whether we choose to live in a value system that's shaped by this world or one that is shaped by the heavenly kingdom that we as Christians claim to be citizens of. Earlier in Matthew's record of Jesus' life, we have what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And on the Sermon of the Mount, if you read it, you will see that it's really a confrontation of values, of earthly values, conflicting or confronting spiritual or eternal values. And that it's really a sermon of the upside-down kingdom, of what is the real important values. Is it what the world says is important, or is it what God says is important? And from a human, fallen perspective... It almost seems like everything Jesus said is upside down to what we know to be normal. And so Jesus is calling us to something different than what the world and our culture says this is the way to go. And in this story, we see this fleshed out in a young man's life. Uh, This is a story about the values, really, of the Sermon on the Mount. The young man, the young ruler's story could be summarized in just a couple short sentences. This was a sharp young guy, a very good-looking young man. He had a very secure future. Everything was in order. He was spiritually seemed to be on top of the game. He was kept all the commandments that he could think of. And he came to Jesus and said, is there anything left? And Jesus said, just one thing. One simple requirement. But his response to that was to play it from his perspective, to play it safe. And we find him leaving sadly. He walked away sorrowful. Really, that's a summary of many people who sit in pews on Sunday morning all across America. They're good people. There are people that could say, I've kept them all, I'm pretty good. But Jesus says, one thing you lack, and that is putting me at the very first in your life. And so Jesus here is a story that really is dealing with the illusion of perfection. Let me back up. I had one story I wanted to tell before that. A couple years ago, several years ago, um, when Pastor Dave used to do the... the, um, big yard sale in the springtime. There was a guy that used to come to our church that he came to that, looked around, and he uh, looked around and he saw, I can't even remember what it was, but it was some kind of kitchen appliance. And he, he saw this kitchen appliance and he said, I'm going to get that for my wife. And he was all excited to get this for his wife. 
And so he took it home. I saw him later. I said, well, how did she like it? And his head dropped and he just said, oh boy. And I brought that in. She said, you dummy, I'm the one that took it to the yard sale. He had it sitting around here for years, and we never used it. We live in a culture that loves to accumulate things. And we value those things, and we hold on to those things, uh, and then discard them. Uh, we, We lose interest in them, and we go on to something else and hold on to so tightly. And Jesus is touching on the problem uh, uh, that can exist in the person's heart regardless of their economic situation. You see, you may say about this and look at this story, and you say, well, I'm not rich, so this isn't speaking to me. Rich is a very relative term. It, 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 you know, who is rich and who is poor? If I would ask you if you were rich, probably every one of you here this morning would say, we're not rich. Not by any stretch of the imagination. We're not rich. And yet, this is a lesson that applies to every one of our lives. The issue is greater than just the idea that periodically we need to have a garage sale to get rid of some items. This is an issue of our heart. And this is what Jesus is getting at when he was talking about the illusion of perfection. The values of our society, sometimes create this illusion of perfection. The world's mindset evaluates things as they appear on the outside, uh, and it develops a perspective of what would be perfect uh, and what success is. And so we have this in our mind. How do you dress for success? How do you climb the ladder? How do you get out there and swim with the sharks and be successful? How do you negotiate your way through life and come out on top and be successful? And the symbols of success show up in so many ways. They creep in in the way that we, what kind of clothes we wear, what kind of car we drive, what kind of house we live in, and all the other trappings of life are are a reflection of where we place our values and what's important and how we try to fit into the system. This young man would be a man that we would be glad to have in our church. Man, he comes to us. He's already got religious training. He's got a good biblical background. He's a really good guy. He's a successful man. He's a a pillar in the community. Who wouldn't want this guy? He's got it all together. In fact, God would really want this guy on his team. And yet, he walked away. Jesus said there's one thing that you lack. There's one thing that is missing. And his disciples didn't understand it. If you'd read on down later on, they, they said to Jesus, if this man can't be saved, uh, who can? This was a, 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 an illusion of perfection. Let me ask you, what would it take to make you perfect? I know you're pretty awesome. And you feel you've got it all together. But what would it take to make you perfect? What, what of your life, if you could change, it would be perfect? Maybe you lose a little weight. Maybe get rid of a blemish that you think that you have. Maybe a little more hair or a different color hair or a different car or a different house. If only I could have this. I remember a friend of my dad's that he went to school with, and he was, lived an empty life. 
But he had everything. Every year he'd buy a new car and just thought, if I just had this new car, I'd, I'd feel better. And you know the thrill of getting something new and then it wears off and then he'd get another one and another one. Until finally, one day he went out and bought a whole big carload of groceries, brought them home, set them on the table, pulled out a gun and shot his head off. It just wasn't worth it anymore. The illusion of perfection, the illusion that if I could have this or that, that somehow my life would be perfect. And good people can live in the illusion that if they just had the right possessions, if they just had the right position, if they just had the right connections, uh, then they would be a success. All you have to do is look at the rag, gossip rags as you're going through the grocery checkout line to see the people that have reached that place and they're miserable. Their lives are falling apart. Their homes are falling apart. Their health, they're, they're addicted. There's they're so many things that they just look like miserable, miserable people. This story is a story in which Jesus is demonstrating the tyranny of possessions. Now, Jesus is not teaching that it's wrong to be rich. That is, not the, 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 that is not the bottom line of this story. He's not teaching that in order to follow him, that you and I have to take a vow of poverty and go home and give everything that we own away and go live out in a snowbank somewhere with just our coat on. That is not what he's saying. But he is uncovering the fact that material security can become so mesmerizing that we substitute it for our spiritual eternal security. Have you ever had a child or a grandchild that has a blankie or some other thing like that? And they carry it wherever they go and they hold on to it and they suck on it or chew on it or whatever. Have you ever tried to take that away from them? Just to wash it? And it's filthy and it's stink and it's what? And, and you try to take it away and you have war on your hand. They may scream and holler and lay on the floor and kick and scream because that is important to them. That is their security. Jesus is addressing the problem of what we hold on to to make us secure. What makes you secure? What do you hold on that that's my security? I couldn't let go of that. The thing that we place our trust in Jesus said that we must be willing to lose ourselves before we can find ourselves, that we must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. We must be willing, and then the word he uses is hate, very strong, hate everything else to follow him, to love everything else less than following him. That's the most important value in our life, uh, And so the question here that he is addressing is an issue of values. If you have to turn your back on people, places, possessions, things, in other words, if you lose those things, uh, can God fill the vacancy that's left in your life? Can he provide for your needs? Can he make things uh, okay? In other words, it is, can I trust God? Can I trust him? Now we sing about trusting God. We talk about trusting God. We have little plaques on our wall that talk about trusting God. But can we take that leap where it's only God? 
that can hold us? Are we willing to do that? Can we trust God if he would say, I want you to go? That God would really help me to be able to walk away, to do, maybe to go to Africa or to go to Altoona and plant a church or to go where, to do whatever, to go and cross the street to your neighbor. Can God really, can I really trust him that if I give 10%, my tithe to God, that I could actually live on the other 90%? Could I really do that? Could I really trust God that if I make a commitment of faith promise for missions that he will help me to be able to to give that to mission even though it's a bigger number than I can see my own livelihood producing? Can you trust God? You see, a materialism affects our freedom to accept God's best. Think about that. Materialism affects our freedom to accept God's best. This young man, man was called a ruler, a rich young ruler, and yet he walks away from what was the best deal of his life. And really you see that he wasn't a ruler as much as he was ruled. Something ruled him that caused him to walk away from the best deal of his life. Uh, How many of you believe the statement, God owns everything? You believe that? We talk about it, we say it, God owns everything. And yet, we very rarely live as if he does. We are the owners. God's ownership sounds good in theory, but in practicality, we hold the deed. And it's our stuff. And we determine what happens to our stuff. And the problem is, in the end, we end up in bondage to the things that we pretend to own we become in bondage to those things. Think about just in the area of money. How much time this past week have you spent thinking about money? Worrying about losing it? How are you going to get enough to make it through the week? Working overtime so that you can have more? Enjoying it? How can I enjoy it? How can I spend it? How can I protect it? How can I invest it? How can I keep it safe? And, And... it becomes something that I have to pour myself into because I own it. I have to take care of it. The spiritual reality is whatever we think we own ends up owning us to some degree. Think about it. There's nothing that you own that doesn't come with a price. That doesn't come with a price. The more you own, the more you have the potential of it possessing you. You've got to protect it. You got to maintain it. You got to insure it and paint it. You got to change the oil in it and polish it and wash it and repair it. You got to water it. You got to dry it. You got to pet it. You got to feed it. You got to clean it. You got to clean up after it. You got to mow it. You got to fix it. You got to wind it. You got to stop it, start it, fertilize it, license it, and pay taxes on it. And then when God says, I want you to do something, oh God, I am too tired to do anything for you. We're slaves to the things that we think we own. There was a story of an old soldier who got a call from a soldier who got a call from his commanding officer to come, come to his commanding tent. And the soldier called back and he said, I, I can't. I've captured, a, I've captured a prisoner. And he says, well, then bring the prisoner with you. 
And the soldier says, well, I can't because he refuses to go. (laughs) And many times that's how we respond to God when God says, bring it with you. Oh, I can't because it's got me bound down. Who owns who? Do we think we own something? If we do, it owns a part of us. That's why it's so important to give it to God. Let him Let him worry about it. Uh, A young man, it says, walked away sadly. He knew that he was so controlled by what he owned that he was not free to accept this offer from Jesus. Are you free to make decisions without considering the profit mode? I'm not talking about whether you're going to make a profit on this action, but what is it going to cost me? If I follow what Jesus said here, what is it going to cost me? Can we do what is right? Can we do what is best for the kingdom? Can we do what is best for the people around us? Uh, Can we really make that decision that if God speaks to my heart, I can do it? Or do we have to first decide what the treasurer's report is? What does the bank statement say? How many things don't we do because of the perceived cost, not just financially, how it may cost me emotionally, how it may cost me face with those who who think whatever of me. And so Jesus said, these things have a tyranny that it just controls us. But it also affects how we respond to other people. Materialism affects my view and how I treat other people. People with materialistic mindsets often use people to get what they want. They value a person, they value someone based upon uh, what that person can do for them. And so they try to, to, to make connections based upon how will this come back to me. If I uh, am a friend of this person, what do I get out of it? How many friends do you have in which in which everything only goes one way. In other words, they don't have anything to give back. And we say, oh man, I I don't have any, they, they can't help me out. But maybe you wouldn't say that out loud, but how many people do you love and care for that just can't do anything back for you? You're the one that is pouring in. You're the one that God has gifted and resourced so that you can be a blessing to that other person, huh? Materialism leads us away from what God created us to be. Not only as individuals, but even as churches, we have to be careful. We come from humble beginnings and there wasn't much and it's easy that as we become more acceptable in the eyes of the community, whether it's an individual church or a denomination, that we just become about ourselves and it's about how people can help us. And yeah, that's a rich young ruler. Oh, that is the person we would like. But when people come and they're needy and they pull upon us and they take out of us, are we willing to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Jesus said, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor to respond to the people on the basis of their need and not their usefulness to us. And then the story in which Jesus is talking about 
the world that shapes its values, he was basically saying, what, what citizen are you a country of? The young man in this story demonstrated that, that he was more a citizen of this world than he was of the heavenly kingdom, no amount, regardless of the amount of knowledge that he had about spiritual things and all the commandments that he kept. This was where it's at. This was where he lived. This is where he had established himself. This was more important to him than the future could ever hold. You see, materialism, materialism affects the value we place on the immediate over the future. Over the future. In Mark's recounting of this story, immediately after this encounter with Jesus, James and John came to Jesus and they wanted, they asked him, would you give us what we want? And Jesus said, well, what do you want? And they said, listen, this is what we want. One of us want to sit on the right hand and one of us want to sit on the left hand of you when you come into your kingdom. What they were looking at was power. What they were looking at is an angle to benefit themselves. And if they could be the first one to get to Jesus before the kingdom was actually set up, maybe Jesus would give them an inside track that they could have what they want to get their agenda of being somebody. And Jesus was saying that it's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom. But all they could think of was the earthly Paul describes it like this. He says, their God is their stomachs. Their mind is on earthly things. Then he said, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The question this morning, of which are you a citizen? The earth, earthly, or spiritual? When you think of home, Where is home? Does home for you mean heaven? Or does it just mean that place that you have provided for yourself? Do you think about going home? When you think of treasure, are you thinking about the gold and silver or the cash in your bank and your retirement? Is that the treasure? Or is it really that Christ and our relationship with him is our treasure Jesus ended this story with a call, the call to come and follow me. And that call to them, to that young man, is the call that he really makes to every one of us. The question is, are you free to follow? This man was so bound with the things that he possessed that he wasn't free to follow Jesus, that he couldn't walk away. What will persuade you to turn from following Christ? Just look in your hands. What do you hold on to? What is it that you hold on to? I've got to have control of that. I've got to hold on to that. I can't let that go. I can't change because. What is the priorities? What do you hold on to that can keep you from following Jesus? To follow Jesus involves a value change. It will call for a perspective that sees the future rather than the present. For one that is looking out for the eternal things rather than temporal things. That is looking out for others rather than our own self. That is looking to know Jesus rather than just to have things. Holiness 
is choosing to follow Jesus regardless of the impact of doing so. The impact on my position, the impact on my possessions, the impact on my place, that whatever, is, whatever choice I make, following Jesus is the most important thing. We're not living a holy life just because we live a good life. Let that sink into your thinking. We're not living a holy life just because we're living a good life. To follow Christ means that I have to decide to leave some things in order to follow him. What would you rather have? What would you rather hold in your hand? There is an old song, an old song. George Beverly Shea used to sing at Billy Graham's Crusades. Just as a side note, George Beverly Shea grew up in a Wesleyan pastor's home and was a Wesleyan. But he sang this song, and we're just going to listen to it here this morning. And can you really say the words of this song from your heart? Martin Luther said of Christians, he said, we don't tell lies we sing them. (laughs) And many times the words we sing, are they really true in our lives? Let's listen to George Beverly Shea as we end up here this morning.
the attitude of that song is not one of regret or pain or, wow, why did I do that? But it's a testimony of someone who dared to follow Jesus and discovered the riches that are theirs as be, for being a part of the heavenly kingdom. One that it's not just some future, but that we can enjoy here, the benefits of following Jesus. Before the ordination of his son, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham made this statement. He said, there are thousands of things you can do with your life, a thousand ways for which you can spend it. But for how many of them will you be able to say at the end of your life, no reserves, no regrets, no retreat. Holiness is a living with a value system that is shaped by heaven, that is lived out in a full commitment to Jesus Christ, that the consideration of others are above my own, that I live with no reserve, no regrets, and no retreat. Jesus said, you want to be perfect? He didn't say you couldn't be. He said, if you want to be perfect, then you've got to let go of whatever it is that you hold on to that keeps you from being able to say yes to God. And sometimes it's good things. Sometimes it's things that there's nothing wrong with that. There wasn't anything wrong that this man had riches. But he held on to them and he couldn't say yes to God. So whenever God speaks to your heart and we find ourselves not being able to say yes you better just stop and look at whatever it is you're holding on to because whatever it is will keep you from enjoying the full measure of the blessings of God in your life. He wants to bless you, but he can only do it if you have your hand wide open. Shall we stand? Father God, it amazes us that you would desire for us to be like you. You said, be perfect as I am perfect. Be holy as I am holy. And Lord, I don't know what it is in every person's life that is here this morning, but you do. The things that we hold on to, the things that we just can't bend on, this is too important. And many times we have to say no to the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that as we go through this week that you would prompt our hearts as we hold on to things and just point them out. That's what we're talking about. That's what I was talking about. That's what you have to let go of. Oh God, speak to my heart. Make me more like you. Make me to reflect more the holiness of who you are in how I treat people, in how I live my life, and how I hold on to or don't hold on to the things that you have made me steward of. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.